what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode 70 Trace of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Savin, and as always, I'm joined by my good friends, Angelo and Gleason and Jake Long, as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, we went back to an era of wrestling we haven't really watched in a long time. We got early 90s WCW, WCW Beach Blast 1992. Honestly, a show that I really, really enjoyed. A lot of great stars on it. Some very, very good wrestling on it. Some matches that I really liked. And really just been looking forward to get back into it. It's our first episode of 2022. We've got, as a special treat, we were not expecting to be able to have Jake for a little bit because he is full-time. It's basketball season. He is spending all his time with underage kids. So... Did not expect to have him this week, but because of a snowstorm, we got him this week. So, got the whole gang back together. We got some wrestling. We got some stuff going on. And really been looking forward to talking about this one. What's going on, boys? Now, David, I mean, I'm pretty sure Jake would say that we weren't with him shooting in the gym. So, I don't know how much trash we're allowed to talk. But it is nice to have Jake back on after a nice (laughs) little miss here. And, yeah, this was a very... For the time, I mean, because you still kind of have to look at it through the lens of this is early 90s wrestling. It's not going to be what we grew up on and what's going on now, obviously. But for early 90s wrestling, this is a very solid card, very fun. It does have a little bit of a house show feel, but that's not a bad thing. I think this was a very fun time, both watching and just like having the crowd be hot for it up and down. Uh, One of the reasons that I was like, whenever you guys told me what show you were doing, and then I heard that Dr. Death was involved. And if you go back and listen to our pods, I've constantly been saying I want something older. I've been asking for something in the 80s, but I think this is the closest to the 80s we've gotten in. I don't know how long. Months. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long, long time. So I really wanted to get on it. And like, there, I feel like there are still some vestiges of the 80s left on this show. Like, yes. Just in, it's in the way that some of the matches are booked, some of the way there's, that wrestlers are presented. Um, so if I was going to get back into an older show, I feel like this was the perfect one. And I mean, I get to tell, we, we've only told the Dr. Death story, that somebody, you know, somebody else's Dr. Death story probably five times on the pod, and I just really wanted to be here for the sixth time that we tell yes. it. John! Five. Fuck Stop Dr. Dr. Death! <laughs> yeah. I, uh, once, once I, you know, I, Again, Jake is Jake is busy during this season of the year, but I knew if there was one thing, one thing that could get him to be able to move some stuff around and get on the pot, it was going to be Dr. Death. And we got a Dr. Death main event in a big tag match for the World Tag Team titles. We got some really good matches on the show. Sting Cactus Jack was really good. I thought the oh, Rick man. Rude, Ricky Steamboat match was fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, you honestly, yeah, you compare WCW at this time to WWF. Um, WWF was definitely bigger in terms of, you know, uh, its its production values, the way they present the wrestlers. The booking was largely better, but the characters were more memorable. But when you talk about pure wrestling, this show by WCW blows anything out of the water that you would have seen out of WWF around this whole era. 
blows it out of the friggin' water. A hundred percent. So. Agreed. When was WrestleMania seven real quick? WrestleMania seven. That would have been 90. So we have not had early nineties on the pod since last March. So almost. A oh my year. God. That's crazy. It's yes. crazy to think that, it, that it will, we're kind of coming up on two years. Yes. Mania 7 was 91, main evented by uh, Hulk Hogan versus Iraqi sympathizer Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, I figured that what it was. But... Oh, we did talk about that. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that, and then I was just like, okay, I'm never going to think about this again. David taught me uh, the word jingoism. Yes, I did. I, I, I educated Angelo on something. But yeah. Um, this show it does have some very good in-ring wrestling. Uh, it's also got some some pretty stupid shit on it. So it's uh, it's a great great little WCW potpourri, and uh, it comes at a very interesting time in WCW's history where they were really doing some pretty dumb shit. So uh, ready to get into this one. Sounds like we're ready to remember some guys. It's been a while, so I need to I need to get back in the groove. Let's yes. get to some guys. Jake needs to warm up his guy remembering. <clears throat> uh, well, we're going to start off with a great one here. <laughs> yes. So it is June 20th, 1992. We are at the Mobile Civic Center in Mobile, Alabama for WCW Beach Blast. It is uh, you have a beach theme. I don't really think that Mobile, Alabama is particularly known as a beach town, but they got a whole beach theme. They've got the bikini babes around. We've got a bikini contest on the show. You know, they got the whole motif with the with the entrance ramp and everything. We've got uh, Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff as kind of the presenters up on the ramp. Tony Schiavone looking very clean, very professional, very nice light blue polo. Love the look from 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 Skiavone. And uh, we also at the very beginning of the show we have Cowboy Bill Watts, who had just taken over booking for WCW, uh, coming in and running down the card, introducing a few of the stipulations for the show uh, for the upcoming Iron Man match between Ricky uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Rick Rude. He is announcing that. Everyone is banned from ringside for that one. And he also announces that the sting match between him and Cactus Jack is going to be no uh, disqualification falls count anywhere. So uh, setting up the show and uh, we go to ringside. We have the booth of J good old Jr. Jim Ross and Jesse, the body Ventura on the call. Uh, and we have our first match. For the WCW light heavyweight title, uh, it is uh, flying Brian Pillman defending the title against a guy named Scotty Flamingo. Who the heck is Scotty Flamingo, David? Scotty Flamingo, who is just kind of a, uh, a fancy dork wearing like this shredded pink and black jacket and a really dumb looking hat. A few years later, he would be Raven. It, it's like that is insane. jarring. Yeah. The, the turnaround from what he was doing before he was Raven being this guy and also being a Johnny Polo in the WWF to then becoming Raven, like, immediately. It's, like, one of the most insane, like, gimmick turnarounds in the history. The next, next thing you're going to tell me is, like, 
mean Mark Calloway turns into the Undertaker or something. Yeah, there's no there's no fucking way that Booger Red would become the Undertaker. No, that's that's like uh, today Alistair Black joining the Hollywood Blondes and being like a preppy uh, varsity jacket wearing dude. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. I, actually, I kind of hope that happens. Yeah, that would be like the Malachi <laughs> Malachi Black. Yeah. <laughs> that feud ends with him joining the varsity plot. <laughs> that would be so cool. But yeah, um, that it's like one of the most insane gimmick turnarounds in the history of wrestling. But it is Scotty Flamingo, futurely known as Raven, taking on uh, uh, Br- Flying Brian Pillman. Uh, speaking of the varsity blondes, um, this is a, a pretty long match where it gets better as it goes on. Not a whole lot happens for a while. Uh, pretty solid technical mat wrestling early on for a good bit. We have Pillman working over the left arm. They introduce something very early on in this match for the first time that will come into play later on. So one of the things that Bill Watts did when he took over WCW in 1992 was he was, he wanted to reintroduce a very old school style of wrestling, which is a very old school, like ethos to WCW. One of those things being, Moves off of the top rope were banned completely. You were not allowed to do moves off the top rope. If you did one, it was a disqualification. This will come into play later in the show, Uh, which if there's one thing the fans love, it's having more things be illegal. I love when there are more rules in my wrestling. Yes, it's great. Everyone loves it. Um, but But like, but like there are times when it actually does work. Like, like the whole like labors of Jericho or MJF, whatever. Like, like that whole thing, like that made sense. They it did, yes. but like as like but not imagine wrestling today. Imagine just imagine <laughs> wrestling today, where they're like, "Yep, you can't go over the top rope. You can't send your opponent over the top rope. You can't jump over the top rope. Have a match." I'm sure we'd still get some good stuff, but like, why take things off the table? You know? Yeah. <laughs> imagine uh, WWE being like, "Hey, no single matches allowed. They all have to be two out of three falls." Yeah, that'd yeah. be wild. Wow. God forbid that ever happened. Uh, but yeah, like it's one thing. Yeah. Like if it's, if it's something like the labors of Jericho where it's uh, yeah, heel is doing it to screw over a baby face. Cause he somehow acquired that, that power to do that. That's one thing. But if it's another thing where it's like, Oh yeah, the, the booker has decided that you're not allowed to do top rope anymore just for some fucking reason. Cool. Fuck you. But yeah, they, yeah. Well, the fans are going to love that, but uh, they they introduce it very early on in this match where Pillman goes up to the top rope and they're like, oh, no, he can't go off the top rope. If he does that, it's a disqualification. And then Scotty Flamingo throws him off the top rope um, for a uh, for a near fall. That's not illegal because he was not coming off the top rope um, and then does a uh, plancha to the outside. Scotty gets the heat for a uh, really long time. We have a very long chin lock spot. Um and then towards the end of this match, uh, Pillman fights his way back into it. Scotty tries to go off the second rope, which is legal, but Pillman catches him out of midair with a drop kick. Uh, finish of this match comes where uh, Pillman gets his comeback. He hits a back suplex off the middle rope, but Scotty gets his foot on the rope right at the end. Uh, Pillman clotheslines him out of the ring onto the ramp, which is the ramp is on the same level as the ring. It just leads right up to the ring. Um, he tries to do a big dive over the ropes onto Scotty Flamingo, but misses, eats shit face first into the ramp. And then Scotty rolls him back into the ring, 
hits a very weak-looking knee off the middle rope and gets the pin and wins the title in 17 minutes and 29 seconds. Yeah, uh, this match should not need to go 17 minutes and 29 seconds, first and <laughs> foremost. Uh, it's fine. Like, there's some solid technical wrestling to start off, solid chain wrestling between the two. It's just, again, the the sheer jolt to my brain of Scotty Flamingo. Uh, I didn't realize how long Raven's wrestling career was. I kind of thought he was a guy that showed up and then, like, you know, later on, you know, developed this kind of whole edgelord personality and... Scotty Flamingo is exact opposite of that and destroys everything I ever knew. But, you know, they, like, they're fine. It was weird seeing him work a normal match. Brian Pillman's always good in the ring. A uh, lot of chicken wing. Uh, but, man, it's the, it, wasn't, it was just so long, and there's not a lot going on. And the finish was bad. I will say, though, I do find when a face is working a body part match interesting, just because that's, like, goes against the grain. A lot of times when you're working a body part, you're the heel. But in this case, it was just Pillman because Pillman was kind of like the technical guy back then. But again, we've seen worse matches from WCW. We've seen worse matches, period. It was just a long, boring match. And, you know, if that's all the bad I could say about it, you know, they're worse. Seven. It was 17 minutes. And by God, I felt every one of them. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> that's that's for damn sure. I mean, that's... It's 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 the longest match that didn't go to a time limit on the show. <laughs> oh, uh, God. The pop, the pop for a that. sleeper. The pop for a sleeper in this match was like a high point. I'm just like, oh boy. In fairness, it was a good sleeper spot. It was <laughs> honestly. God. It was a good sleeper spot. It was like I, I hate whenever David the Elitist comes out and he's like, well, actually, well, normally it's me defending <laughs> a sleeper. It was a nice, it was a nice little hope spot, you know, as, uh, as, as Pillman's getting beaten up forever, it's a little break in the action where all of a sudden he's doing something and then he, you know, gets his ass kicked some more, but was there, yeah. uh, were there any good skinning the cat moments, Davis? There were not, there were not actually <laughs> not, there, not, not a single one of this entire show, to be honest with you. So, uh, can't comment on that, my friend, but yeah, uh, this match does take fucking forever. Uh, and honestly, like the, the big novelty of it is just, yeah, Raven as Scotty Flamingo is insane. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it wears off. The, the novel's off. Wear. <laughs> then, uh, fun, fun fact is, wait, so, how, so the match was 17 minutes and how many seconds? 29. 29. Yeah, so it wore off after about 29 seconds. <laughs> yeah. I, felt, I felt the rest of the 17 minutes, don't worry. Yeah, very long match, but we get it out of the way. And your winner and new WCW light heavyweight champion, Scotty Flamingo, going on to a great career here in WCW. So next up, this okay, so we have this bikini contest, right? This is one of the big things they're pushing throughout the entire show. It's Beach Blast. It's on the poster. They, They've got a bikini contest because you got to have the bikini babes at the beach. So they have Johnny B. Bad, Mark Miro hosting this uh, hosting this this bikini contest. So tan, he looks <laughs> fucking demonic. I mean, <laughs> can you? I mean, like John, Johnny B. Bad looks fucking terrified right now. I mean, he looks he pretty so, bad. He is so fucking tan that it is almost blackface. It is insane. <laughs> like, 
It's really he was, he, he was 10 more minutes in the spray tan from being, Yeah. And for, Mark Miro. And I think Mark Miro was already just like naturally a pretty tan guy. But like, holy fucking shit. You know, <laughs> he looks just, I was, I felt genuine discomfort every time he looked into the camera. He is like, you know, this is at the height of him doing like the little Richard, uh, like lookalike gimmick. I was getting uh, more Prince vibes. I, I think it was intended to be little Richard. Um, and it's just terrifying. He, so he's, he's hosting this bikini contest and he is not only scary to look at, but completely unintelligible the way he's yelling into the yelling into the microphone. I can't understand a single word he's fucking saying. I'm not even going to try to tell you what he's saying. I'm not even going to try to relay this information uh, to you guys. I, I just, I, I cannot discern a single word that he's saying. Um, what I am able to figure out that it is three rounds. It is being held between uh, basically the two top women in WCW at the time, Medusa and Missy Hyatt. They are facing off this bikini contest. And there's three rounds, one of which is an evening gown. Uh, one of which is a ba- the second of which is the bathing suit and the third of which is the bikini. So it's not even really a bikini contest. Like a third of it is a bikini contest. But like I think an evening gown contest is fundamentally different from a bikini contest, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, and the fans can vote at home. And the problem is, so they do the evening gown segment right now. And then you find out that, the, oh, this is going to take place throughout the show. I can't just skip this now. I can't just skip this now and be done with it. This is going to be taking place ubiquitously throughout the entire show. It's going to be a whole thing. It's, <laughs> it's going to be a whole ass thing. It's a whole ass thing. And it's going to keep going on. And and it's going to get really weird by the end. Um, so next up, we have a match between Ron Simmons, a favorite, the legend, against a Terry Taylor who is doing this gimmick at the time coming out in, he walks to the ring in a, he's being billed as the tailor made man. And he is walking to the ring out in a tux and then taking the tux off in the ring. Of course, uh, a gimmick that would later be stolen by none other than Tetsuya Naito. What is Tetsuya Naito, but a, a cheap Terry Taylor knockoff. Uh, Good cut, good cut. It's Terry Taylor and Ron Simmons. Uh, the announcers mentioned that Ron Simmons had just that very day gotten the key to the city of Tallahassee. So Good for him, I guess. Congrats to Ron Simmons, former Florida State football. Where, star. like, like on your list of cities that you could get the key to, like Tallahassee's like top fifty, maybe. Top, it's not in the top fifty. Are you I serious? Would say it's at you least, don't think? No, I'd maybe say it's top maybe one hundred and fifty. I'm, I'm with David on this one. You think there's 50 better cities than I mean apologies to our Tallahassee listeners right now, but like you think there's a you think there's 40 49 better cities? I yes. would I don't know. Yes. Absolutely. Are you kidding? I mean, Tallahassee? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I've only been to like seven cities. The college uh, the short list would be college towns or like interesting big cities like San Francisco. And I feel like Tallahassee. San, San Francisco is not in my top fifty. I feel like San Francisco is probably there is not a there is a way okay no wait actually San Francisco would be like L A wouldn't be for me I no, San LA, definitely I would agree San Francisco is at least kind of cool not L A 
LA is a- absolutely San absolutely. Diego. If you give me the key to your city, I will get the Chargers back for you. I will say there you go, San Diego. Tallahassee. Now, 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 let me be clear. I have never been to Tallahassee. <laughs> I don't ever plan on going to Tallahassee for any reason. But just my impression of it, it's like, yes, it's a quote unquote college town, but I feel like it's too big to be like a real college town. You know what I mean? It's not like a Morgantown or something like that, you know, because mm-hmm. it's the fucking capital of Florida. I don't know. Like I went to Atlanta to visit Georgia Tech and it was really kind of cool to see that campus just nestled in the city as we're getting off beat completely for, you know, this is a nothing match, but, you know, never mind. But yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't like not that. high. I, I visited Pitt and I did not like the college in the middle of the city. Thing. That was not for me. No, but I digress. <laughs> also, Pitt sucked, but like you know, that's ah, not ESP baby. But yeah, um, it's Ron Simmons and Terry Taylor. Uh, this match is basically, uh, you know, Ron Simmons is a fucking jacked monster. I mean, he looks like a friggin' just a, he looks like a million bucks in this match. And that's what the entire match is about. Yeah. It's basically Ron Simmons being this incredible, like just, you know, physical specimen, you know, freakishly strong, freakishly athletic against Terry Taylor, who is a crafty wrestling veteran and Terry Taylor trying to get one over on him by being the crafty wrestling veteran. Um, It's mostly Ron Simmons beating the shit out of him. Uh, He's doing the three point stance, you know, like running shoulder blocks he gorilla presses him on the ramp and, throw, and slams him back into the ring, puts him in a bear hug for a while. Terry Taylor does get the heat for a little while when he dodges one of the uh, shoulder blocks and Simmons spills onto the uh, ramp. But then uh, Simmons comes back, slams him around a bunch of times. It's a uh, pretty nice looking power slam and he gets the pin and wins the match in seven minutes and nine seconds. And afterwards cuts a uh, very motivational babyface promo. And Ron Simmons is the winner. Mm, cool. Yeah, no, okay. not a not a good day for the city of Tallahassee. That was a great day for the city of Tallahassee. Their boy won. Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I, th- I thought you said Terry Taylor got the. No, Ron Simmons got the. Key. Oh, okay. That's, a, that's, a, that's an important distinction here to make. Yeah. Okay. As far that's as I know, Terry Taylor has no ties to the city of Tallahassee. <laughs> Ron Simmons is huge, man. That guy is massive. I, I got a kick out of this just being a power show for him. Uh, seven minutes, a good palate cleanser. They did Nothing felt like it lagged too long. Um, it, was there a lot of good spots? No, it was just mostly Ron Simmons just being a Hulk. But, you know, there are worse things. Uh, I also enjoyed this line by, I believe, The Body. He's a nose tackle. They always cheat inside. I'm just like, yeah. He's gritty. He's gonna beat the crap out of you. That's what those tackles do, and that's what Ron's gritty grinder. Oh, remember, remember Dominican Sue? He's still playing. Yeah, he's he doesn't count as a guy. He's still playing. No, I, I, I hold on. Let, let me rephrase. Remember stomping on people in Dominican Sue? I think yeah. he's still doing that. <laughs> okay, oh, well, come on. He's kept his nose clean. He's all wait, right. Wait, wait, hold on. Is, so is he still on the Bucks? Yeah, and that's yeah. where he was. Okay, I believe he is. Yeah, yeah. Like like that one time that he literally just like tried to stomp on a guy's head that was wearing a helmet. Good times. Yeah, cool guy. Listen, <laughs> Nebraska, Nebraska, oh. and Sue. Who, boy? Oh, fucking boy! Um, Couldn't block him. I I did do a little research. I have gotten a confirmation that Terry Taylor has visited the city of Tallahassee at least three <laughs> times. He has three recorded WCW matches, in Tallahassee, <laughs> including a loss to Ron Simmons at a house show in 1990. 
Oh. They did this match in Tallahassee, and I'm sure Ron Simmons, Florida State legend, was very over that day. Oh. Uh, yeah. So next up, we have this uh, – we have a match between – this very young, very wide looking. I was surprised at how wide uh, this this young rookie looks. Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who was just like a year or two into his wrestling career. Any relation and to Buff he, Bagwell, David? Uh, maybe I'd have to do a little <laughs> research. Good luck, uh, So far, I have not been able to ascertain whether or not Marcus Alexander Bagwell has the stuff. Uh, he's still a few years away, I think. I hope he but, does. He is wrestling uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, who has looked exactly the same for 40 years. Uh, this is, a, a like I said, a, a very young, pretty green at this point, Bagwell. Uh, only debuted as a wrestler a year or two before. And this, this, this match feels very much to me like, a, like one of those, like, first match on a New Japan show. It's like Yuji Nagata versus a young lion. Or it's yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the he's like the, the the young kid is like you know explosive and very excited but like uh, and, and like gets a few spots and gets a few near falls but mostly it's like uh you know the veteran is just you know way more experienced and just outsmarting him and kind of wrestling circles around him that's sort of what this match is uh valentine mostly wears him down uh for a lot of this match is working over the legs to try to set up the figure four. Uh, and Bagwell gets a brief comeback towards the end, gets a few new, uh, gets a few near falls on a few roll-ups, still while selling the leg. And then Cactus Jack uh, cracks his knee, puts him, or I said Cactus Jack. Next, <laughs> I, was, I, said, I, I thought you didn't skip a match, but whatever. That's next match. I was reading my next line. Greg the Hammer Valentine uh, cracks his knee, Locks in the figure four leg lock and Bagwell submits. Greg the Hammer Valentine wins the match in seven minutes and 15 seconds. Hey, at least it was only seven minutes and 15 seconds. I mean, which uh, is the right length? Yeah, the, the, uh, the story of the vet beating the rookie, you know, it does its job. Valentine, just an absolutely unique looking dude for all the wrong reasons. Uh, here's a question for you How old do you think he is here? Greg the 42. Hammer Valentine? Valentine, yeah. Yeah, surprisingly young. 42. Uh, 41. Oh, damn. Oh. Here's another fact that's, for you. Bob- that's simultaneously younger and older than I thought. <laughs> and here's another fact for you. Bobby Lashley today is 45. Yeah. Oh, that's that's one of my favorite things to think about is how Bobby Lashley is 45. Yeah. And I think I think our truth is like 50. <laughs> Wait, <our> Jesus. <laughs> he's something he's 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 something like that. He's that's, like old he's like shockingly he old. He still moves too good for whatever age he is. He's uh, our truth is 49. Yeah. That's insane. Lord. I feel like he's been 49 for 7 years. Yeah. Well, he's looked literally that like you can go back and watch Ron Killings in TNA 20 years ago and he looks exactly the same as he did now. <laughs> Ron Killings when we did TNA Unbreakable looks exactly the same as he does today. Yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, also, but, shout out to the dude in the front row wearing cutoff overalls. Sincerely, <laughs> my kind of guy couldn't be couldn't be anyone in this group. Let me fucking tell you. Yeah, it could it's me, baby? Yeah. Um, good. You know this match. It it is what it is. I mean, it's it's uh, it's no five star like class. I feel like they do what they set out to do. You know what ooh, I mean? Like, ooh, ooh. 
You know what it reminds me of? What? The Jets Bucks game from this past weekend. Exactly. That's actually really good. That's a good reference. I enjoy that. Since since this is a football podcast, you know they did what they set out to do. The Jets set out to look plucky but still lose, and the Buccaneers set out to win. Yes, that's true. Although, what what would you compare the AB tossing his gear off and running off the field? Uh, uh, there match? was nothing that fun in this match. <laughs> that would be uh, no, there, no. There's there's nothing that cool happened in this match at all. No, <laughs> no. That's no. the that's no the pipe bomb in WWE type shit, or like, or no, 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 or like Hogan walking out of the one show that we did. Yeah, that's that's Hogan. That's Hogan cutting the. Uh, what is it? A dash at the beach, cutting the. Uh, you know, that's why this company is in this the shape that it's in because of shit like this promo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 it. Uh, but I feel like this. You know, this match's all right, in my opinion. I mean, it 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 does what it sets out to do. Is exactly what Jake said. It's it's to make Marcus Bagwell look like a plucky, talented young rookie who's still going to lose to the veteran and still makes the veteran you know look like a good wrestler. And that's what it does. It's not like a great match or anything, but it achieves what it is trying to do, which I think, you know, could be worse. Could Absolutely. Be worse. So next up, this is, I think some people would say that would, would say that this is the match of the night. It certainly is a very, very entertaining match. Uh, it is a falls count anywhere match. No disqualifications, no count outs between two just straight-up fucking stone-cold legends, Cactus Jack and Sting. Um, and I love the uh, like the lead-up to this match. They're really trying to build up the Falls Count Anywhere stipulation. Um, they are getting all excited. They have Shivani and Bischoff getting all excited about how they might, you know, they, they might just end up fighting outside on the sidewalk and just leaving the arena. They might go all the way down to the beach. Who knows? And they have like a clip of a previous Falls Count Anywhere match of Cactus Jack and Van Hammer fighting in what appears to be a cow pasture. And then at the end of the clip, Abdul the Butcher shows up and hits Van Hammer with a shovel. It's it's great. It's a great clip. Um, boy, oh boy, does young Mick Foley look like a fucking badass. Let me oh, just say right. Before he, before his body literally got to the point where he couldn't move anymore. Yeah, like Mick Foley, where he's like, like young, kind of in shape, and can physically walk. Fucking badass looking guy, I have to say. Uh, Cactus Jack walks down the ramp first. He doesn't get into the ring. He turns around, kneels down on the ramp, and waits for Sting to come to him. Sting at the time is the WCW champion. It is a non-title match. We have Surfer Sting. He's ready to blast on the beach. And they come out and just start brawling. And they brawl all over ringside. Uh, there is no padding on the concrete floor outside of the ring. And there are a lot of bumps on this concrete floor. And a few that seem pretty fucking nasty. And it's, as you can guess, it's mostly Cactus Jack splatting all over the concrete. Um, because he is an insane person. He is the most insane man in the world. And we that's why we love him. Uh, yeah, they fight all over the place. Uh, they fight onto, you know, a bunch of, you know, spots on the floor. They fight into the crowd. Uh, sting suplexes on the floor. They get into the ring for about five seconds, and then they leave, get back to ringside, 
Cactus Jack hits him with a chair a bunch of times. Sting comes back, hit back suplexes him on the floor. Cactus Jack goes for a pile driver, but they doesn't really hit it. They sell it like uh, his knee gave way on him. Then this was this one made me wince a little bit. Uh, Cactus Jack goes for a diving knee drop off the apron onto the floor and misses and hits uh, knee on concrete. I really hope that he had a good fucking pair of knee pads for that because that I feel like that, that hurt. Hurt, hurt very bad. Um, Sting gets the chair away from him. The crowd is roaring for Sting as he wails away on Cactus Jack with his chair. Um, and uh, he comes back. You know, he's hitting him, hitting him with the leg. They're on the ramp at this point. He goes for the Scorpion Deathlock on the ramp, but Jack rolls them both off the ramp to the floor. Sting gets the worst of it. Cactus Jack hits a double arm DDT on the ramp, goes for the pin. Sting kicks out. And then Sting finishes this match with the spot of the night. He climbs up to the top row. And again, this is no disqualification. So this is the one match where you can do that on this show because of this rule. He climbs up to the top rope, dives from the top rope, like 15 feet to the outside for a diving clothesline on the ramp and hits it, gets the pin and wins the match. Uh, Sting wins at 11 minutes and 26 seconds in, I mean, this match was action every, every second of the match. It was pure action. It's I mean, this uh, Cactus Jack, man, like, like I said, this was before he physically like couldn't move. So like seeing him, seeing him move like a, like a, a normal human and not like, a 70-year-old man when he's actually in his 30s is just it's so cool to see. It's electric from the rip, too. And we're coming off WrestleMania 22 where we saw his match with Edge. Like, God damn it, Mick. Uh, the guy just does not care for his body, period. The moment he takes that first bump onto the concrete, I'm like, what the like, – I'm cringing. Like, I just – you know those moments where you're watching something and then when they do something, you just feel it? I felt every bump of him hitting the concrete. And it's just – so brutal to watch, but it's also like so entertaining and they do a great job of just selling this as a big brawl with like Mick kind of being a Merc for hire and sting, you know, being the champion, just fending off a guy who's trying to cripple him. So much fun. The suplex on the concrete, uh, fully clotheslining them both to the floor and those nineties chairs, man, they just look like another animal. They look like a beast. <laughs> oh man. The, but the, yeah, con- get, get the nineties chairs and the Japanese tables and someone <laughs> <will> fucking die. <laughs> The, uh, but I'll just say again, that concrete floor is the star of this match too because every <laughs> move that is on the concrete is just brutal. And Mick just keeps falling over and over and over. The missed elbow to the floor alone, just brutal. Electric this, is, this is my second favorite match that features the concrete heavily. Yes. And we all know what my number one is. <laughs> uh, That's the Gargano match. It, I was going to say the Gargano it, match. Oh. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it the uh, the Nexus versus John Cena match where he he powers out of the DDT on the floor and goes like four on one and he wins? He overcame the odds. No. <laughs> uh, and I also enjoyed the fact that like this is a feud with the champion that isn't for the belt. I don't think you could do it often, but like whenever you get those feuds where the champion is involved, despite the fact the belt isn't on the line, it's always pretty interesting. And I think this was a good use for it. Cactus Jack is not there to win the belt. He's there to cause havoc and violence. You know, he's there to fuck people up. He's there to 
you know, destroy his body and kill himself and kill everyone that he knows uh, because he's awesome. Um, he's <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, you know, you shouldn't be surprised. Like this is Cactus Jack. Like, you know, you, you, you cringe when you see him take these bumps, but it's like, this is the same guy that took the hell in a cell bump through the table, then took the bump through the cage to the ring and then wrestled a full match after taking those two bumps with a tooth like, in his nose. Yeah. This is the most insane man who ever lived. So like, Taking a fucking, oh, he missed an elbow drop onto the floor. Taking that bump is like, I mean, I'm sure it hurt, but it's like, it, it's probably really it does not matter to him. You know what I mean? Like, that's not going to affect him because he just, I don't know. He's just a madman. Um, he scares how you, me. How do you think he feels nowadays? I, I'm sure he's in constant agony every waking moment. <laughs> Like, you know, holy fuck. I mean, Kurt but, Angle yeah. isn't a guy that did hardcore matches and his neck has been killing him for like 15 years now. Yeah, I mean, Kurt Angle, like, fuck. I mean, that guy really got messed up. Uh, yeah, and he was not, he didn't do half, he didn't do a third of the shit that he did. Fuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it. It everyone's different. But yeah, I, I thought this was funny. I included this in my notes. I was reading the Observer from uh, this this issue where Dave Meltzer is reviewing this show. And he, you know, has a lot of praise for this match. I think he gave it four and a half stars, which is a great rating. But he says, uh, and I quote, Cactus Jack has a lot of guts, but you simply can't do matches like this very often and enjoy a lengthy career. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Dave, I have some news for you, buddy. <laughs> he goes on 20 more years. Yeah. 15 years later, Edge is spearing him through a flaming t- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, God, what a what a fucking madman. I I mean, objectively, he is correct. Cactus Jack should have died long before. Okay. Well, Cactus Cact- Jack died, but mankind Oh, that's like that was the difference. Yeah. Look. look. Mick Foley is the exception, not the rule. He goes advanced. Yeah, exactly. He goes against advanced analytics. Yes. And you know I mean, what? You know what? Joey Janela is going to wrestle until he's 75. Oh, yes. Joey Janela is going to wrestle until he looks like, like, you know how like, um, like, like the, the rock and roll express guys look now, um, but they can still like work. Yeah. Joey yeah, Janela is yeah. going to wrestle until he looks like that, but he's also going to look like that and be 45. <laughs> I was going to say, he's going to look like Greg Valentine in a few years. Yeah. God, God bless that, man. I still watch I still watch that Zandig bump too much. It's just like the bump off the uh, into the pickup truck. Uh, oh, bag. yeah. Yeah. I, I still watch that match or that, that bump way too much. Um, it scares me. He's insane. Um, so next up, we have, this is one of the big feature matches of the show. Uh, and have a lot of notes for this one. It is a 30-man iron, or 30 minutes. 30 man. <laughs> it's a 30-man Royal Rumble. It is a 30-minute <laughs> Iron Man challenge between two great workers. It is the United States champion, Ravishing Rick Root, uh, who is, is, again, this is a singles champion in a big match, but not defending the belt. This is a non-title match. Uh, Ravishing Rick Root comes out cut the music he cuts his promo 
you know, calls the crowd fat, out of shape, beach loving bozos. And then disrobes, and the motherfucker has 14 abs. Um, <laughs> he is facing the great Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who comes out with his wife and his young son, who wound up becoming a, was uh, wound up wrestling in uh, uh, NXT for a little while. Uh, hmm. Much later on, uh, was actually kind of good, but I think got injured and had to retire very Neck very injury. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, so, Ricky, it's it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Rick Root in a thirty minute Iron Man match. Um, and we have they. I, I I appreciated the fact that they have the timer up the whole time, so you know they're not kayfabing the time limit like sometimes people do, and while. And like they allegedly did later on in the show, um, this match, uh, it's, you know, I, I, I love this match. I thought it was very, very so good. I thought it was a very, very good match. Um, Ricky starts very, very hot on Rick rude, beats the shit out of him. It's attacking the ribs, um, throughout this match. And, and Rick rude really sells the ribs the entire match, but Ricky, Ricky, the dragon steamboat attacks him, uh, in the midsection. Uh, from the start of this match, locks him in a Boston Crab, um, and then uh, is really beating his ass the whole first fall. And then all of a sudden, uh, Ricky uh, Rick Rude catches him in the face with a knee as he comes into the corner, grabs the tights on the pin, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, about eight minutes in, Rick Rude, who has gotten his ass kicked the whole time, gets the pin and gets the first fall. He's up one nothing. Then about a minute later. He hits his finishing move, the Rude Awakening, uh, and then gets another fall. So it is 2-0. They're not having any grace period in between these falls. They're just, all right, you got one, keep going. Um, next up, I thought this was interesting. Uh, Rick Rude comes off the top rope with a knee drop, kills Ricky, uh, Ricky Steamboat with this diving knee drop, gets disqualified because of this rule, but... They, they sell it as the story being he's got a 2-0 lead in the bag, so he is okay giving away a fall to be able to do the damage caused by this diving knee drop. And then it pays off because right afterwards, he pins Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and he's up 3-1. to one. Uh, So Rick Rude has started out, you know, in a big advantage. He is just, for a lot of the rest of the match... You know, uh, it's it's kind of sold like Rick Rude. He's got the 3-1 lead. He's trying to play defense. He is trying to wear him down with holds and run out the clock. He puts him in a camel clutch at one point. Uh, he puts him in a bunch of different holds. We have some long chin lock spots. We have a long sleeper spot later in the match. Uh, there was a really cool spot that I liked where uh, Ricky, uh, he's got him in the camel clutch, and then Ricky Steamboat stands up out of the camel clutch with Rude on his shoulders into an electric chair slam. I thought that was a really cool spot. Um, Rude hits him with a spike pile driver, but Steamboat kicks out. Uh, and then Steamboat gets a fall after uh, Rick Rude gets him up for a tombstone pile driver, but Steamboat like climbs up him and reverses it into his own tombstone pile driver, a spot that you see in a lot of Okada matches nowadays. And he gets the pin. It's now three to two. Comes back, hits a huge superplex, but can't get over and cover. Uh, but then ends up tying the match just after this. Uh, Rick Rude hits him with a big clothesline, goes for the pin. 
but Steamboat bridges out of it, turns him around, and turns it into a backslide pin and gets him. So we are now tied up. About 10 minutes left in this match or so. Um, at this point, Ricky Steamboat really picks up the pace for a little bit, gets a bunch of near falls, but then Rude cuts him off with a jawbreaker, retakes control down most of the stretch of this match. Uh, Ricky Steamboat got one really big near fall where he hits a Rude awakening of his own, but Rude gets his foot on the ropes. That was a big spot. Rude gets him in a sleeper, really about the last five or so minutes of this match. Rick Rude has him in a sleeper hold and is slowly putting him out. He is holding on to it for dear life. But then with about a minute left, Steamboat starts to stir a little bit and he runs up the corner and launches back into Rick Rude. And while Rick Rude still has his hold applied, Steamboat lands on him and gets the pin. He lands with Rude's shoulders on the mat. With about 30 seconds left, Ricky Steamboat takes a 4-3 lead. Rick Rude comes back, furiously trying to steal that last fall. We have a bunch of near falls at the end of this match. It's a bunch of clotheslines in a row. Uh, Steamboat kicks out of everything, and eventually the time runs out. Ricky Steamboat wins the match in four minutes and three seconds. I absolutely loved this fucking match. I thought it was definitely slow at points, but like every single thing in this match made sense. Everything in this match, like it told a bigger story, and everything that happened in this match served towards telling that story. I loved it. It's so good. I, yeah, I thought it was weird earlier today when you asked in the group chat what the thoughts on this match was were going to be. It was slow, but the problem is, like, well, not the problem. Like, everything matters. The, like, everything in the match matters, like, and it feels important, and that's not something that's achieved easily. Uh, you know, every fall, the fact that I have seven falls in this 30-minute match is really good, too, because it, like, shows, hey, we got some movement here. There's going to be a lot of things happening. You're going to need to pay attention. And you know they just hit the spots, and they do the and they have really good counters, and they have interesting falls. Now, like the only gripe I really have with it is that you know Steamboat's on top for the early part, and the first fall comes from a boot in the corner, and then later in the match he kicks out of a pile driver. I, I don't get me started on that, but I get it from this perspective of like you're telling the story of the heel gets up early and plays the game of, well, I'm just going to do as much damage as I can. I don't care about giving up a fall here or there. So long as I'm doing damage. And then it's the babyface rushing back and trying against the clock to get those falls back. And then the desperation by rude. Once he realizes that he needs a fall, it was really good. It was really captivating. Uh, very fun. I don't get the legality of a superplex though, in the, especially with this top rope rules. I think it was maybe, I think, I think, it might have been that uh, they were standing – like the person giving the move might have been standing on the middle rope. I think he was still on the top rope when they did. Was he? Yeah. Then I don't know. Then I have no idea. But anyway, cool spot, especially back in the 1990s. <sighs> and yeah, I, I will always say, put the, the ni- early 90s stuff through a scope of whether it looks good or looks bad. And this stuff looked good even if it was slow. Uh, Steve hitting the electric chair out of the camel clutch was also just a really fantastic counter. And I, again, I can't undersell how awesome this desperation from Rude is sold at the end. Just, again, very good Iron Man match. Is it, like, do you have to accept the fact that it's going to be slower because it's in the 90s? Yes. But that doesn't make it, that doesn't take away from it at all. It's it, it's still fantastic. Any era. Uh, it was it was so good. There, there was one really, like, I don't know why, but the first five minutes it kept catching me. So it kept looking like Rude was tapping 
in the holds at the start of the match. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I saw that. They would put him into holes and he would like slap, but not like a I'm slapping because I'm hurting like a like tap out. I don't know. It just looked really weird. Yeah. Um, uh, However, at some point in my life, I want someone to look at me and go, damn, you look like 1992 Rick Rude. I think we all want to want to look like 1992 Rick Rude. I will say the, the guys. Oh man, like I appreciate Rude so damn, much for this era. Like Rude is just truly ahead of the game. We need to get the I'm good looking gimmick back, and NXT would be the perfect place to have a guy just completely rip off Rick Rude. And also, See, but I don't think so because everybody's kind of jacked. Like fair, fair. You know what I mean? Like but, even yeah. the guys whose gimmicks. Are like like even Kevin Owens, whose gimmick is like I'm fat, but I still wrestle. Like he's still strong as shit. Like yeah, yeah. you see that dude's arms? That dude's got some big fucking arms. Yeah, but he's al- got cannons. Like, but also yeah. R- Rude is also like the captain of just have a good name for your finisher, and it doesn't matter what it is because the Rude Awakening is just yeah. the neck breaker. <laughs> yeah. But but it's, it's called yeah. the Rude Awakening, and it just you know he nails it every time. It's perfect. I love it. Yeah, but it's like I mean like. NXT, like, last couple years, Johnny Gargano arguably as shredded as Rick Rude was. Yeah. You know? That is that is true. Yeah. It's like having that kind of physique. Like, this, like, Rick Rude was the first person in wrestling to be hot, and it was trailblazing. Like, it changed the game. <laughs> <laughs> because no one had ever seen someone with a six-pack before. Before that point, like, like – like, like people would be really jacked, but they would be like, like horrifyingly roided up type jacked. You know what I mean? Like, like Arnold and stuff like that. Like guys like that. Of, I'm thinking like, like the the person who's popping into my mind is like Hercules Hernandez, where he's okay, like yeah, that fucking huge, but at the same time he looks kind of unhealthy about like the way he's huge. Yeah. Or they were dudes that looked like Bruno San Martino, where it was like this guy is amazingly strong and like could bench press 950 pounds, but also has a beer gut. Like Rick Rude looked like like Rick Rude was the first man to have abs in wrestling. He invented having abs. So like he was a trailblazer beyond the fucking game. So what you're saying is that he's Tony Nice. Tony Nice, like like if you put if you dropped Tony Nice in 1982, he would have blown people's fucking minds. Nope, <laughs> too, like, too small. Tony Tony Nice would have been God. He would have been the god of wrestling. Like they would have not, they would not have known what to do with Tony. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, Jake, like you mentioned that about the tapping. I also wrote that down. Yeah, it's really weird, right? It's it's sort of funny. Like yeah, 1992. Like it goes to show you how little people knew about like actual martial arts before the <laughs> UFC. Started. UFC starts the next year, and like. For most people, that's how they figured out like what tapping out meant. Like yeah. if you're old and you tap the mat, that means that you quit. For most people, like their only exposure to martial arts was through like fucking Jackie Chan movies, honestly, like, <laughs> or, or Bruce Lee movie. Like legit. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I never thought about like like when did the idea of tapping out become mainstream? I want to say it only really became like a thing that got pushed in wrestling. When Ken Shamrock had his WWF run, yeah, that's true. I want to say is like when I they mean, started leaning into like people tapping out. Maybe I mean, who, Taz did it. I can't remember, but I mean, I mean, who had a submission really in the early nineties? Like who did that? Not, I mean, like I want. I feel like 
like people had submissions. I mean, like, obviously like, you know, like flair would do the figure four and Valentine would do the figure four and stuff like that. But like no one ever tapped. It would always be like the referee would like gesticulate towards the, uh, you know, the, the guy in the hole. And it's like, are you, are you quitting? Are you quitting? And then he would nod his head and then the crowd would go crazy. Like they would ring. Yeah, the bell. I, I'm, I mean, I think I'm like the sharpshooter. Like, yeah. Part with the sharpshooter. Like, Really, up until people didn't tap out of the sharpshooter. No, know? they didn't. Like they would submit, but they wouldn't tap. You know what I mean? Interesting. Like they would, they like the referee would ask him, and he would say yes, I'm quitting, and then the referee would ring the bell. That's kind of how it would go. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like going back and seeing that now, and like seeing Rick Rude tap when he's like in this hold, and you're like, he's fucking tapping, but they don't like know what that they is. They don't know that, right? Right. <laughs> it's weird. It's it's kind of funny to watch. Uh, but yeah, loved this match. Um, after this, we get the bathing suit showdown in the bikini contest. Oh, I have to say, Medusa comes out like Medusa comes out like wearing a bikini. I don't know what the difference is here between like the bikini and the bathing suit, whatever. But Medusa coming out wearing her sunglasses gave me a very strong Tony Storm vibe. Thought they looked very similar. Oh yeah, I see that. More like Johnny um, B. Horny though. Oh, God, he was brutal. Absolutely brutal. Um, next up, uh, two matches left on the show. We have a six-man tag match. Next up, some absolute freaking names in this tag match. We have a, a special referee, original Four Horsemen member, Ole Anderson. And it is a match between the Dangerous Alliance team, uh, accompanied to the ring by a young lad named Paul E. Dangerously, uh, it is the team of, listen to this fucking group, Arn Anderson, WCW TV champion, stunning Steve Austin, and beautiful Bobby Eaton. What a fucking team of wrestlers right there. Absolute motley crew right there. And they are taking on the babyface team of Barry Windham, Nikita Koloff, and a very young Dustin Rhodes wearing a very cool jacket on his way to the ring. Nikita uh, Koloff, not related to Ivan Koloff. I checked. Not related. I want to say, like, early in his career, when he was a, like, Russian heel, like, they try, they kind of build him as he was related to Ivan Koloff, if I remember correctly. But I thought it was really funny, like, a big part of his babyface turn, because he had a big babyface turn in, like, 86. He was, like, a big, like, foreign heel in the NWA. And part of his babyface turn in, like, 86 was... Instead of being billed from Russia, they said he was from Lithuania now. <laughs> Which Lithuania also part of the Soviet Union, but they're just like, well, no one's ever fucking heard of Lithuania. <laughs> so people aren't going to boo that necessarily. And also, he was from Minnesota. <laughs> I, I was waiting on that. I knew that yeah. was coming. <laughs> was from Minnesota, went to high school with, uh, went to high school with Ravishing Rick Root, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is Nikita Koloff, uh, Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes and his cool fucking jacket taking on Arn Anderson, stunning Steve Austin and beautiful Bobby Eaton. Um, this is a match that is pretty well worked. Um, like everything's executed well, never really hits that like really good level is kind of slow for a lot of it. Um, and then sort of ends abruptly. I, it, it's not a match that necessarily reaches the sum of its parts, if you know what I mean. 
You have all these really great wrestlers in it. It doesn't end up being great, but it's fine. Um, really liked watching uh, Dustin Rhodes and Stone, uh, Steve Austin wrestled, uh, work together. I thought they had good chemistry. Uh, Koloff is in there for a long time. He basically cleans house. Um, we have uh, Dustin gets in there. This is a young Dustin Rhodes. He'd only been wrestling for a year or two at this point. Um, he flies in there, gets a ton of offense, but makes kind of a rookie mistake. He charges into the heel corner and gets overwhelmed, gets beaten up for a long time. Um, we have, uh, towards the end of this match, Stone Cold Steve Austin, or I guess not yet Stone Cold Steve Austin. He hits his finishing move at the time, the stun gun, which was like that kind of whiplash move off the ropes, uh, but doesn't get the pin. Dustin is barely able to get the tag to Barry Windham. Uh, and then we get Wyndham in there. We get Koloff in there. The match really breaks down. Uh, I knew a bunch of chaos, a bunch of guys fighting each other. Uh, Barry Wyndham hits the superplex on Austin. But then, again, we have to get over this fucking, we have, we have to get this fucking top rope rule over. Uh, Wyndham hits the superplex, goes for the pin, but then Arn Anderson jumps off the top rope to break up the pin. And the referee, Ole Anderson, uh, rings the bell. He calls for the bell. He disqualifies the heel team because Arn came off the top rope. And that's the end of the match. The baby faces, Wyndham, Koloff, and Rhodes win the match in 15 minutes and 32 seconds. Also not related, Ole and Arn. Yes, never related. Like, there's a bunch of, like, wrestling Andersons. Like, that was like a storyline wrestling family. I don't think any of them were actually related to each other. Speaking mm-hmm. of Arn, why isn't he using the Glock in this match? Come on. It's already been established that Arn has a Glock. This have is you, the perfect time to be using it. Have you guys heard the JPEG Mafia song where he samples the Arn Anderson Glock promo? <laughs> no. It's so fucking cool. Uh, Yeah, but back to the match. This is your typical six-man tag that you could see on AEW now, honestly. However... Uh, it's still the same shenanigans where the ref is still kind of incompetent. And although this one ref does call a DQ, it's just very chaotic throughout and hard to follow. Follow The only thing I really gathered here is that I felt like they're really trying to put over Koloff. Because there's like a few moments in here where they make Koloff look like a big freaking deal. And I'm like, huh, I could buy this. Koloff was legitimately a pretty big deal in WCW throughout the 80s. Okay. Pretty pretty well pushed guy. Yeah, yeah, he definitely was. Well, and like for a guy that I really didn't hear much, like I, me personally, I don't know much about or ever heard of. He looked good. I like both yeah. both wrestling wise and the fa- and the look. Like he's got he got the shine, and uh, it, it was decent, but just way too chaotic for me. Koloff was very over circa like. 86, 87. Like, that was probably his peak. peak. He had a big feud as a heel with uh, Magnum TA, who was like their really hot, young, rising babyface. And then Magnum TA got like a serious car accident and had to retire from wrestling. And so they turned that, they turned that into like Nikita Koloff then turning babyface because he respected Magnum TA so much. And then he got like actually like really over his baby. Face. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, I, I feel like we haven't really had Koloff on here. We so have I not. Like, I feel like I like talking about Koloff. I, I need to, I need to see some more matches of his, honestly, like 
I yeah. just haven't seen a ton of his body at work. Yeah. I mean, the the uh, the Magnum TA feud is really good. Uh, he had some matches with Flair in the 80s that were really good. I'm sure. You know? um, yeah, good shit, man. I, I, kind of an under underrated guy uh, that isn't really remembered too well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this match is fine. You know, I, I liked the assortment of guys in it. Match is all right. I, like I said, I don't feel like it really reaches a like fever pitch or anything necessarily, but it's fine. It's fine. Uh, finally, we get, or, or next up, we get a uh, Ricky Steamboat comes out. He gets his promo with Eric Bischoff. It's just a pure babyface promo. He says he proved to the world that this was my finest hour. I think this was the best match of my career. Uh, and the dangerous alliance, they can't dodge me anymore. I'm coming for that United States championship. Paul Heyman comes out and he said, you know, he, he gives Steamboat a lot of praise, but he says, you got your last chance at the title. You never again fight for Rick Rude's U.S. heavyweight title. And then afterwards, the hired gun comes up. Cactus Jack attacks Ricky Steamboat from behind and they brawl to the back. Setting up Ricky Steamboat and Cactus Jack, which I'm sure that's a hell of a fucking feud right there, ladies and gentlemen. I would pay money to see that shit. Uh, for some reason, uh, for the last part of the bikini contest, Johnny B. Bad is dressed like a stripper cowboy. Um, we have Jesse Ventura has to get involved because he is so horny right now. Um, he tells us that he, uh, he for some reason, uh, goes out of his way to make a point that Jesse Ventura is only bald because he has a lot of testosterone, which is that how that works? Is it? I don't, I don't know. I'm not a I scientist. Mean, if, if that's the case, that explains why I started going bald and then stopped. <laughs> you need to get on that shit that Frank Thomas is selling on like the MLB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. But Jesse Ventura Future governor of Minnesota. I'm not sure whether he knows a lot about like testosterone and you know that that kind of biology, but who knows? Uh, we have a, a an angle in this bikini contest where somebody stole Missy Hyatt's bikini, uh, and then we have uh, you know Johnny be bad and Jesse Ventura start peeking into the ladies' dressing rooms and going in there. It's just it gets really fucking. Uh, uncomfortable and they don't even tell us who won so what the fuck ever uh i guess if you want go back and see uh if if you want to go back and watch the episode of whatever show would have been wcw worldwide or whatever it was at the time wcw saturday night from right after beach blast tell us who won the bikini contest uh feel free i do not give a shit so last up we have our main events it is a tag team championship match. And on paper, this is one hell of a freaking banger. It is the team, the champions, the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, taking on the Miracle Violence Connection, Terry Gordy and Dr. Death Steve Williams. John! Jake, Jake say the line. Wait, am I saying John or the line? I got the, say the I, whole line. John! All right. Fuck Dr. Death! Yes. If anyone wants, like, 
fucking Luke Gallows is the funniest guy in the world. I rewatched, <laughs> I rewatched that twice this week, and it, it it just hits every time. Every single every single shoot interview with Doc Gallows just destroys me. His, his, his explanation of like, yeah, you know, like we had to read this book, and I had already read it. I don't know why that price up that he's like, I had already read it, so I knew I didn't fail the test. <laughs> yeah, and and good for Luke Gallows. He did get a ten out of ten on that test. So, also, <laughs> Luke Gallows' impression of Johnny Ace, fucking hilarious. Spot on, bro. As the best Johnny Ace impression I've ever heard. Um, but yeah, it is Dr. Death and Terry Gordy taking on Steiners. And this is, I'm sure if you were one of the real nerds back at the time who followed Japanese wrestling, I'm sure this was a fun crossover because it was the Steiners who were the top foreign team in New Japan Pro Wrestling taking on Gordy and Williams, who were the top uh, foreigner team in all Japan for wrestling at the time. So you got a little crossover, and they have Gordy and Dr. Death doing the, like, white guys who are based out of Japan gimmick that Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows Gallows did in WWE. So, yeah, um, this is a very mat-based match. And I feel like a lot of the fan base doesn't really, they're not really super into it. And I think in a lot of cases, they don't really understand what they're seeing, which I understand. Um, it, it's naturally going to be a very mat based match because you have three division one wrestlers uh, in it, both the Steiner brothers and Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Dr. Death and Scott Steiner, all Americans in, in college. Uh, so you're going to get a lot of mat wrestling in this. Did appreciate the note from Jr. Because uh, I had forgotten about this that Dr. Death and Rick Steiner at one point were team members, were yes. teammates in the varsity club, which I had forgotten yes. about. Um, the varsity club, not just a restaurant in Morgantown that I never went to. Is it still open? <laughs> it so. is. I, a couple of friends of mine went there recently. Interesting. Uh, never, never went. Don't know if it's any good. Never will go. Now at this point, I'm, I'm just never going to go. But um, yeah, forgot about that. Appreciated that, uh, that point. Um, we have, uh, first really good near fall, uh, in the match pretty early on, uh, Dr. Death, who also played football in college, uh, is doing the three point stance shoulder blocks, but then Rick comes back with a huge Steiner line for a really good near fall. Uh, we, they go back and forth with, uh, some big backdrop suplexes. Uh, Gordy puts Rick in a single leg crab and then puts him in the spinning toe hold for a little bit. Um, eventually Scott tags in Scott's still pretty new to the business at this point. Rick had, Rick had started wrestling a few years earlier before Scott. Um, they start working over Scott. Uh, the heels, uh, get the heat on him for a good part of this match. They're working over the left leg. Uh, Dr. Death puts him in a, in, in a Boston crab for a while. We get a, uh, hot tag from Rick. He hits Dr. Death with a big power slam, hits the middle rope bulldog, but then Gordy runs interference on him. They double team him. Gordy hits a uh, middle rope gourd buster on him. They uh, double team him for a while, but he kicks out of everything. Uh, this There's a 30-minute time limit in this match, forgot to mention, and they have the announcers you know, telling us over the PA, you know, 10 minutes left, five minutes left. We're starting to approach that time limit. And Rick is kicking out everything, but he's still really getting beaten down. 
Dr. Death gets a great near fall with a gut wrench into a power bomb that looked awesome. Uh, hits him with a power or goes for a power slam, but Rick fights out of it, hits him with a huge Steiner line and then blasts Gordy with one out of the corner, right? As the one minute call sounds, he gets the tag to Scott. Scott gets the hot tag, hits a double underhook power bomb for a near fall. And then right at the bell hits the Frankensteiner, but again, can't get the pin because it's right at the bell. They announced the time limit draw really as this match is reaching uh, a good fever pitch. We have this great hot tag from Scott. He hits the finisher, but he can't capitalize. Time limit draw. The Steiners retain, but, you know, it's a time limit draw. It should be noted that Dave Meltzer did time this match at 28 <laughs> minutes and 22 seconds. So allegedly they kayfabed the time limit. So My God. justice for Scott, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Look, man. I mean, I, I I love I love Dave Meltzer. I mean, I hate Dave Meltzer, but I love Dave Meltzer for stuff like this specifically. Yeah, he's the one dude who would do that. He's There's a minute and a half. His own independent timing of it, and then say, actually, they kayfabe the time limit. It was a minute and a half short. Yeah. I like, love all right, bro. The only dude who cares. I mean, this was this is a classic big men slapping meat match, and that's all it needs to be. It's it's got some it's got some big power spots. It does again drag a little bit more. I'd say more than most of the other good matches on this card, but it, it's just fan. It's it's still very like dream match like, and that kind of gives it a little bit of a pass. Uh, it's really weird to see Terry Gordy for the first time because you know Jesse is such a small dude, and Terry Gordy is this mammoth caveman looking man, and it, it again absolute like Jesse fits in his chest. Uh, early Scott's always a mind fuck too, because like, he just looks so normal where, where he ends up in terms of his look. And then Rick Steiner's mustache, man, we had Rick Steiner on NXT this week for Broadbreaker win the title. God bless the Steiner family, man. Just a great professional wrestling family. So much fun. What, what a set of jeans on those lads. Oh I my God. God. Uh, <laughs> Scott, the, the, the moment where Scott's kind of getting real beat up. That's kind of really where it drags to a lot. But there's like a huge belly belly knock on uh, to Doctor Death, the hot tag to Rick, the super power slam, uh, Rick firing out of the corner, just a lot of big meaty, just huge hits. So much fun. Uh, again, does kind of lag in spots, but for a dream match between giant, giant, giant mammoth, enormous, monstrous human beings, mwah. Hold up. Caught up in all the heat of the, of our uh, you know discussion of Doctor Death is uh, the guy could work, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like I know we're talking making jokes about it, but like the guy could go. Um, you know, you have the Steiners involved. The Steiners could always go. Who's Charles' favorite Steiner? It's Rick. I'm I'm a Rick guy, honestly. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Rick guy. I I will I'll tell you this, man. Big Papa Pump holds a place in my heart, though. Of course, of course. Of course. Just but like. It's the part of my heart that's like gonna get heart disease later in life. Like it's not the good part. It's it's the part that's got the cholesterol. Look, it's Rick up until the mid nineties. After the mid, once Big Papa Pump shows up, I think he kind of takes the mantle. And then yes. we had a long, long stretch where there's not a Steiner in our heart. And then WWE, one of the best things they have done is bring a young lad who they are for some reason calling Braun Breaker into our hearts. 
Yes. They, they, I, they synthesized in a lab the Uber Steiner. <laughs> created this lad out of a fucking test tube. The reason, the reason I say that is because I'll never forget watch. It's like I did a rewatch of every WWE pay-per-view starting in 2000. And at the time, I did not know who Scott Steiner was. And I will never forget the moment that I first learned who he was because like the sirens went off and they were like big pop-up pump. Uh, and I was like, oh, this must just be one of those guys that they brought in for like a one-off because his biceps are too big to like actually be a wrestler. And then I find out, no, this guy's a real wrestler. He just has disgusting biceps. Yeah. Like at this point, he's just kind of a more regularly just large jack guy. Yeah. No. And then he just did curls every day for 10 years straight until 2002. Yeah. I mean, and then like he just was just an inhuman looking person. The you big know what bad I mean? booty daddy. That's that is why that is why Ron Breaker is the perfect Steiner because he has the like the look of the Steiner at this point, like peak Steiner brothers, where it was like they're complete physical specimens, but they also don't they aren't so jacked that like they scare you to look at. But it was also, disgusting to look at him. He also cuts promos exactly like <laughs> prime big Papa Pump Steiner. <laughs> like he has this he cuts those promos like 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 great like heel scott he's fucking amazing he's John, just, in, John, just insane ass promos it's almost too perfect to be real it's almost parody uh johnny gargano calling him the big bad booty nephew is something that i will remember for the rest of my life <laughs> because it was just such a funny one-liner he's so cool i i, I you know honestly like i think it took braun breaker showing up and being so perfect to really like fully reignite my love for the Steiner brothers, because I love the fucking Steiner brothers. They are genuinely one of my favorite tag teams of all time. If not my favorite tag team of all time, period. I just, just the, uh, the mixture of them being just fucking like, you know, physical specimens who were incredible athletes while also being huge and, working this fast pace, working this very high impact style, like at their best, they were like, you know, you, you take the Steiners out of, you know, 1990 and put them in, you know, today and they would blow everyone's minds, you know, like they, they are a team that could have succeeded and been stars in any era of wrestling, any place, anywhere, anytime. The Steiners are like the one of the few wrestlers that me and dad, but my, my dad both agree on as like being amazing and interesting and marking for the fucking rule. But while, while Scott, most people would say that Scott is, is their guy. I, we're all Rick Steiner guys. Rick, Rick Steiner has a place in my heart. Absolutely. I, I've always loved like baby face Rick Steiner from like 89, 90, where he was just kind of this big idiot who wanted to beat <laughs> people up. He was like this lovable idiot. And he brought his dog to the ring. Yeah, he was this lovable, this lovable doof who just wanted to beat the shit out of people. I love him. There's just something so lovable about that man that it's hard to put into words. But yeah, uh, liked this match a lot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, it was long. It was, it was, I mean, it was a full, you know, half hour or whatever, give or take a minute or two. But, and yet it was definitely 
very, you know, mat work intensive. And if you're not a huge fan of that, I understand not loving a lot of this match. And it does kind of, you know, so there's a lot of like working holds and stuff like that. But it is interspersed with some truly dynamic big boy shit that you love to see. And so I really enjoyed this match. So, big meaty men slapping meat, baby. Big meaty men slapping meat. And also I thought this was, you know, really funny little Easter egg for if you're a real dumbass and you stayed after to watch the credits, which they used to have on the pay-per-views back back in the day. They don't do it anymore where they don't they don't have credits after the pay-per-views anymore. I thought this was funny. Uh one of the senior producers was listed as a Virgil Runnels. Oh, AKA the real name of Dusty Rhodes. I saw Virgil Runnels. I was like, oh, shit. I thought that was kind of funny. There no, one gives, no one gives a shit about that. <laughs> but that means that Dusty Rhodes was involved in the show. And that means that Jake is legally obligated to give him a mark. Ooh. Okay. Sure, that's how that works. <laughs> yep, sure does. Thank, thank you for informing me of my legal obligations. Speaking of. Time for our two and a half marks, boys. Let's do it. Let's do the thing. Well, let me let me go first because I already know my first one. Yes. Who is it, Jake? Half Mark. Virgil Reynolds. Did a great job producing that show. And, uh, well, how about this? He gets my, – my half mark is tied. Positive half mark to the producer of this show for doing an excellent job making it look like the beach setting that it deserved to be in Alabama. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then – you know what? That does kind of tie into my actual half mark, uh, which is guys having totally nonsensical gimmicks. This is a long one. Guys having totally nonsensical gimmicks compared to what they will eventually be. Okay. For example, Flamingo. Like, <laughs> I just, I think that is the funniest shit ever. Like, uh, and honestly, if you look at Scott Steiner here, Scott Steiner compared to what he would eventually be, uh, like, it's just completely different. Um, Marcus Bagwell is completely different later in life. So I just think it's, it's so jarring to see these guys be totally different pictures of themselves. Like, like who else? Sting. Sting would be another one. Like you have surfer Sting, Sting and then yes. Sting. Sting. Like, I, I guess I was thinking face paint, but like, you know, you have somebody like, like Seth Rollins who, yes, he's had different gimmicks his whole life, but his whole life has kind of, he's kind of been like either the douchey long haired or like the, yeah, the douchey long haired guy or the kind of cool long haired guy. Like they has two different sides to himself. So I like whenever guys have totally off the wall things. Uh, negative one mark is going to be bringing your kid to work. I just don't, I don't really understand the point behind bringing the child into the ring for steamboat. Like that's gotta be a workplace hazard, right? <laughs> Like, what if the kid gets hurt? I've seen that before. Um, they said that in, like, the previous match, the kid actually had gotten involved um, and caused an issue. But I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, and Ray, then, Ray, leave Dominic at work. Or yeah, leave exactly. Dominic at home. Okay, should have. Um, and then my two marks, we've kind of already talked about it. It's going to Braun Breaker for not being a Steiner somehow. How's that guy not a Steiner? <laughs> like, I know you guys said he's a Steiner, but... Is he a Steiner? Supposedly, like, and, and I, I did learn this recently, they, people did talk about it, that it was his own idea to be Braun Breaker. That was his name that he gave himself. Which is which is fine, but like, they has, has WWE acknowledged other than Rick Steiner coming out once he won? No. 
Other than the illusions, like in promos, like calling him the big bad booty nephew. Yeah, and the, the dog face gremlin. I, I don't know if there's been a moment where they were like, yeah, like they make these little, like kind of, you know, cute little remarks, but it's not like, I don't think there's ever been this like moment where they have like on commentary where they're like, yeah, his uncle, uh, Rick, or his uncle, Scott Steiner, or right. his dad, Rick Steiner, you know, I don't think they've done that. Outside okay. of one tweet. <laughs> but. So there's your, there's my two marks. Go to Braun Breaker for not being a Steiner because he should be a Steiner because the Steiners are cool. They are cool. Ah, oh, God, I love that. I love that kid. He's so fucking sweet. Um, Angelo, you're up. All right, cool. My negative half mark is going to the base rules in the early 90s where the top rope rules, it just ruins the flow and limits of the match. Like, yes, I would love to watch a match that has more rules and restricts what they can do in the ring. Like, come on now. And then, like, I guess they still had, like, superplexes and whatnot. But it's just stupid. Like, Hey, listen, I'm a rules guy. I'm a referee, you know? Rules are good. No, there's too there's there's a, such a thing as too much rules. This is one of them, uh, and I do think that every match on this card would have been better had those rules not existed. So negative half mark to those top rope rules. My one mark's going to Ron Simmons. Just looked cool, big strong dude, just like a mammoth of a man. Like it looks like he was just got done playing football. He just ran through Terry Taylor, did all the cool power spots, cut a nice little promo at the end there. Just like. Respect to Ron Simmons because he really did feel important in his match, even though, you know, it's a seven minute uh, piss break match. It was fun. I enjoyed Ron Simmons. I want more Ron Simmons. Dude is built. Uh, Give Angelo more Ron Simmons. Noted, Angelo. Two marks is going to just Foley and Sting, man. I mean, when you're going to put to get on an 11 and a half minute match on concrete, just beating the crap out of each other, uh, you get you have to give them their flowers and or in this case their marks because Foley kills himself. Sting is the world champion taking this match. Everything just hits. Every note hit. Fantastic, fantastic match from start to finish. Had me on the edge of my seat from beginning to end. I could not get enough of it. They could have gone for five more minutes. They could have gone for ten more minutes. They could have gone for twenty more minutes. Give me more of that. That was so much fun. Two marks to Sting and Foley. Angela wants a lot more of a lot of things. This They had good guys on the show. They had very good guys. Plenty of them. Plenty of them. All right, I'll finish it up. My half mark is going to go to ramps that lead directly into the ring. Like, you know what I mean? Like ramps that are like yeah. on the same level as the ring. I love spots where a guy jumps out of the ring and like lands on the ramp or does something on the ramp and is on the same level. I feel like there's a lot of cool shit you can do there. I thought like at, at several points on this show, having the rampway on the same level as the ring added a lot of cool dynamics to it. Um, and I, I liked it a lot. Uh, there was one cool spot. I think it was in the uh, the Sting match where Sting like whipped him off the ropes to the outside, like whipped him off the ropes so he bounced back and went up the ramp. And I thought that was pretty cool. I liked that. Uh, I'm going to give my one mark to strategy in matches. And I, I'm speaking specifically about the Iron Man match. You know, if when you consider in kayfabe that a pro wrestling match is a legit, in kayfabe, it's a legitimate athletic contest where both guys are trying to win. I always like it where you can watch a match and tell what somebody's strategy is as an athlete, how they are going to try to win this match. And I feel like in the 
Steamboat Rude match, one of the reasons why it's so good to me is you can tell at both at every point in this match exactly what the two guys are thinking about how they are going to achieve their goal of winning this match. And the choices that they make to further that goal and execute that strategy. Something like Rick Rude intentionally taking a disqualification so he could then do more damage and, you know, get the pin, get another quick fall, and then be in a better position to play defense the rest of the match and run out the rest of the clock. Stuff like that. When you can really tell that every single move these guys are making is according to the strategy of how they're going to win that match, I, I it's one of the reasons why I loved that match. And I, don't, I, I think it's something you don't see enough of in wrestling. And I'm going to give my negative two marks to the concept of, we talked about it a little bit before, this is what the fans want. They want more things to be illegal. They want more <laughs> things to lead to disqualification. Get the fuck out of here, Bill Watts. Come on. Like, listen, I know it's still 1992. We haven't really had the, the, the high-flying, you know, revolution yet. But even in 1992, people thought jumping off the top rope was cool. Give the people what they fucking want. Let people jump off the top rope because it's cool. Just, I, I, I don't understand the logic behind making that illegal. Is Bill Watts alive? I believe he is. I wonder how he feels about the Bucks. I'm sure he does not. I'm sure he's not a huge fan. Yeah, I'm Bill willing to bet he's not either. He's alive. He's 82 years old. Uh, Bill Watts didn't last much. He had a very short run as the booker. Um, actually, interestingly enough, had to resign from WCW like a year later because some like old, like kind of racist shit in an interview that he said popped up from like <laughs> before. And like Hank Aaron. Like direct, like Hank Aaron found out, like the baseball player found out about it, and like directly pressured, like like Ted Turner to like get rid of Bill Watts. I love that actually. Yeah, um, which which is insane. Like that Hank Aaron got Bill Watts fired from WCW. This cancel culture has gone too far. They've been doing it since the nineties. Yeah, it's pretty insane that that actually happened, but it's oh true. Oh my god. Um. So yeah, time is a flat circle, guys. So that will finish up our RIP Hank Aaron, by the way. Um, that will wrap up our coverage of WCW Beach Blast 1992. And so without further ado, we will uh, go back to the randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next week. Probably not going to have Jake here. He'll probably be chasing sweaty children again, but maybe there'll be more snow. We can dream. We can dream. For now, I'm expecting it to just be Angelo and I. We'll see. Uh, but... In case I have both you guys here, what do you guys want to see next week? I want to see Jake on the podcast next week. That's just me. Aww. Angelo, I hope I never see you on the podcast. That's fine. Uh, In reality, (laughs) though, let's get some NXT. I I feel like I want some NXT. Um, If I'm going to be on it, I want something recent. We are not going to have anything recent. Um, in fact, we're going back. We haven't done it in your house in a while. I don't believe. Oh dear Lord. We're going to 1996, December 96, uh, WWF in your house 12. It's time from Palm beach, Florida main event, 
WWF Championship match between Psycho Sid and Brett the Hitman Hart. Oh, God. Uh, Thank God Brett Hart's on Yeah, that's certainly a pay-per-view match. We've got, I mean, we've got a lot of titles on this. There's only five matches, but three of them are for titles. Um, And we have something called an Armageddon rules match between The Undertaker and The Executioner, who was portrayed by Terry Gordy, who we have on this show. Uh, We also have Mark Miro, Johnny B. Bad, actually wrestling. And we also have an appearance from the fake Razor Ramon and the fake Diesel. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Fake Diesel, who was, of course, portrayed by the man who would become known as Kane. Who the heck so is Flash Funk and Leaf Cassidy? Flash Funk, Too Cold Scorpio. Flash Funk. Okay. Too Cold Scorpio and Leaf Cassidy was Al Snow, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was. Holy smokes. That'll be a solid so, match. That'll be, that, like, theoretically, would be actually a pretty good match. So, yeah. Next week, WWF, In Your House 12, It's Time. From December 1996. So uh, that will wrap up this episode of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So for my good friends, Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long, my name is David Stabbitt. Thanks, everybody, for listening.